0: Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, World Cup Daily. Day 16 of World Cup 2018 is done, and it's the first day without any games. But Brian Strauss and I are still here with a new episode as part of our podcast, coming to you daily from Russia through July 16th. Just a small request, it would be a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It helps people find us. In this episode, I'm also joined by Sunil Gulati, the former U.S. soccer president and current FIFA council member who talks about the successful U.S.-led bid to host World Cup 26 and what comes next for him after a turbulent year. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss from his bat cave in Moscow. I am in my bat cave in Moscow. Today's the first off day we've had since the start of the tournament. Brian, how's it going for you?
1: I'm still working. No, I just, I didn't I didn't realize I could take the day off. Shit. I'm sitting here in my hotel room trying to uh summarize the group stage and it's turning out to be pretty tough because the, there was a lot of late goals and other nonsense.
0: Well, actually we're not taking an off day because we're doing this podcast, a daily podcast that we promised would come out every day through July 16th. So here also we true. are. Here we yeah. are. Um Though I will say that uh, I got a decent amount of sleep last night. I had a nice lunch with uh, my friend Gabriel Marcotti. Uh, I got a massage. Um, I'm semi feeling like a human being again.
1: Wow, that's I I've I had an apple, um, and I'm wearing a clean t-shirt. That's all I got. Some days you're not wearing a clean t-shirt. The last couple days, I have not been wearing a clean t-shirt. Okay good to yeah. know good to know laundry you know we we talked we did the laundry chat anyway we're just <laughs> we need some, we need some knockout round games to talk about one
0: more day well we've got some knockout round games to talk about first off though let's uh just look back a little bit i know you've been writing on this today uh at the the group stage biggest surprise obviously is germany the defending champion not surviving to the knockout rounds um other storylines, and I'll sort of let you choose what you want to start with here. I'm thinking VAR uh, and its impact. Um, I'm thinking uh, no African teams coming out of the group stage. This is also a very UEFA, ball heavy uh, set of teams that have come out of the group stage.
1: Yeah, I think it's funny. To me, I, I, I think, as I've said before, I know VAR is a thing um it just doesn't i know it's important it just doesn't grip me like it does some people i expect every world cup to be dominated by uefa and south america so that's not a shock um for me uh what i take away from the group stage is just how how tight the games were um you know only 100 game and i and, and i realize 00 games can be tight but every team every team in this tournament scored two goals nobody was really out of their depth there were 20 goals Scored in the 90th minute or later. So many games decided in the final seconds in stoppage time. Um, like I said, only one uh, 0-0 game. I think, I think I counted. I think there were 11 combined in their group stage at the past two World Cups. Um, so close game. Only three teams go 3-0. and um, So close games. Games down to the wire. Games decided by fine margins. Groups decided by fine margins, including one uh, by the finest margin ever, ever employed. Um, so that for me was, was the story. And yeah, um, most of the big teams still got through. There's always one that goes out, right? I mean, you know, Spain went out, uh, four years ago, uh, Italy went out, you know, defending champions have had trouble. So on one hand that, that impacting Germany, we'd like to think they're above that. Obviously they're not. Um, but on the other hand, you know, not even though big teams got out, there are still some some smaller teams, some eliminated teams I think we all wished uh, we could have seen more of, right? Morocco, Iran, uh, Peru, Senegal. Um, you know, these teams were competitive, and so that that's what stands out about the group stage for me.
0: Yeah, I'd include Nigeria in that group. I don't know if I would include Iran, actually, just in terms of watchability, but um, yeah, there are a lot of teams that didn't get out of the group stage that played pretty good soccer. Uh, and it wasn't crazy to say that Peru played the best soccer of its group that included France and Denmark, but didn't get out.
1: The, Dan- the Danish coach said as much.
0: Yes. What's yeah. his name again? Don't know. <laughs> I just wanted to see if I could get you to do it. I kept nope. asking Kid Abdo last night on the Fox uh, show in between segments, if she could tell me the name of the group after group G, just because I like hearing her say group H. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Excellent. Uh,
0: she got mad at me after a while though.
1: Uh, Deservedly, but it's, it's still funny.
0: But, um, it's a lopsided bracket, as we I think mentioned last night, um, and you know obviously Spain and Croatia have. If, uh, are, I think a lot of people are looking at that as a potential quarterfinal game. Croatia, if you're doing power rankings on performance on the field, might be right at the top. Um, is,
1: uh, I think Luka Modric might be my uh, group stage Golden Ball winner. Um, just, just, just very influential. Um, three wins. Three wins in a in a group that that was pre, that was probably one of the two most balanced groups of the competition. Um, I mean, I, I just came up, I just thought of that just now, so I haven't gone through the list of potential rivals, but but on first instinct, I give it to Modric.
0: Why is it that Luka Modric seems underrated, even though he plays for Real Madrid?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, because because I guess because I guess like. Anyone standing next to the, you know, look at me, Cristiano Ronaldo, supernova is, is, is by definition. <laughs> like no one can get a word in, right? I, I mean, I, that must be it. I don't know, but he, but he's, he's wonderful. And I think anyone who watches Madrid realizes how important he is, but so is Tony Cruz and Cruz had a terrible world cup. So, um, yeah, the best you know, goal of
0: the world cup. Some people would say
1: he may have, um, <laughs> but overall did not, did not play well. Um, had a great moment, uh, and, um, but Modric has been fantastic and he pulls the strings for Croatia and, 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 and they, like I said, I mean, they, they beat Argentina, Iceland and Nigeria and I don't know who I, who am I overlooking? I'm sure, I'm sure someone, um, but, I'm, uh,
0: not really. I mean, at this point, I, Cristiano Ronaldo was sort of the figure of the tournament for the first two games, uh, yes. failed to convert a penalty in the third.
1: Um, and Belgium, the other, the other two, three, and O teams are Belgium and Uruguay and, and both of the, they, they both were in groups. Uh, you know, those were the two most imbalanced groups of the, of the competition. So, um, Croatia, uh, you know, the maybe, Oh, you know what? Maybe the other name that pops to mind maybe is Philippe Coutinho. Maybe he, he was very
0: good for, for Brazil. I'm going to throw one out here for you. Diego Godin.
1: He's awesome. That guy's
0: a machine. He's really good, just a tremendous center back. And yeah,
1: uh, I'm, I'm always gonna I'm always gonna gonna be biased toward the attacking player. The, the but um, he but scores yeah.
0: goals too, man. Not that he's had any in this tournament, but he scores That's goals. True.
1: He does. He does. Um, so yeah, Coutinho, Godín. Uh, for me, it's Modric. Uh, but obviously, no one no one wins any awards based on on the group stage. But those those are some names that that stood out during the first round.
0: Well, let's talk about the two specific round of sixteen games that are taking place on Saturday. So that's Uruguay, Portugal, and France, Argentina. Um, wow, which that's a pretty good lineup for the round of sixteen, I would say.
1: It's insane, all in the same quartet of the bracket. Absolutely bonkers.
0: So Uruguay, Portugal, is a pretty fascinating matchup i think in part because there's a chance this game may go scoreless for 120 minutes um i think uruguay is maybe the hardest team to play against in the that's left uh just because of the way they play uh the aforementioned diego godine being uh, one of those people it's hard to play against um but even though they were in a very easy group i feel pretty good about where Uruguay is. And I feel like they're a better team than Portugal, which which still seems very individual based.
1: Um, Yeah, this is, no, this is a fun game because both of these teams, the, these are grinders, you know, the, these are team these are teams that, that get results and that prioritize results over anything. And so, you know, you're right. It could be zero, zero after 120 minutes. You know, I, you could probably get pretty good odds that there'll be more red cards than goals in this game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and that's fun, you know? So, um, I mean, if you're France or Argentina, maybe, maybe you're, you're keeping one eye out on who might get themselves suspended. Um, yeah, I, I think you're, I think Uruguay is a deeper, I know I pronounce Uruguay different every time I say it, I do it the same thing with Iran, Iran. I, I, I don't know how to speak. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Uruguay is a, a more complete team. Um, you know, uh, Portugal, continues to get results despite sort of not being very impressive. Um, But at the same time, would it shock anyone if they found a way to do it again? This is what they've been doing. So um, it's just a, I mean, you've got three former world champions um, and the reigning European champion in, in one quarter of the bracket. Um, You know, two of these teams, you know, all four of these teams imagine deep runs. Two of them are going home uh, this weekend. Um, And it's just, the drama is just immense. Um, I'm almost not ready for it. I'm still exhausted from the group stage. Um, and it's crazy to think that these are happening tomorrow. There were only, I, I counted, there were only 16 hours between the end of the Brazil, uh, Brazil, the Belgium-England game, and the first press conference, you know, Didier Deschamps, you know, uh, putting journalists to sleep in Kazan as they got ready, uh, They're ready for the uh, round of 16. So there's almost no break at all. And it's just, uh, it's breathless.
0: Are you as excited as I am for the pepe Luis Suarez matchup?
1: That's the thing about these teams. There's so many links between them, you know. Same with France and Argentina. It's it's this quartet is incredible. I mean, I I I I need to go back and look at other brackets and see if there's been anything this this sort of compelling. Um, But uh, just this the star power from these four teams is is uh is is remarkable. So only one of them make the semis.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think if you're looking for similarities in the two games, I would say it's fairly obvious, right, that you have Portugal really hoping to ride its superstar and Argentina really hoping, desperately hoping to ride its superstar against what is a better team. And I guess it's possible that argentina and their superstar could find a way against france which hasn't overwhelmed anybody in this tournament so far but just has so much talent across the board and has shown it on occasions i'm thinking of the first half against peru but uh this is uh this is team versus star uh, in both games it seems like
1: although although france certainly what their achilles heel in the past and and you know, who knows if it's going to happen again, is that maybe, every, you know, they all think they're stars too. And even though the likes of Pogba and Griezmann and, and those guys aren't at the, on the same sort of like, they don't have the same, you know, Q rating as, as, as Ronaldo and Messi, um, you know, you, there, there are a lot of big names on that team or guys who think they're big names. And one of the sort of the narratives here in Russia is that Deschamps has somehow managed to sort of suck some of the the life and the joy and the, and the, and the dynamism out of this team and that they just look kind of sluggish. And, and, you know, after, after Germany got knocked out, there were, there were some comments coming out of Yogi Love and some of the other guys about how, you know, we didn't have some great friendlies coming in, but we've always flipped the switch before we thought we could do it again. And I wonder if the same thing is going on in France. I mean, they, they, they look up and down that roster and they're like, you know, they should win the world cup. And, and they just haven't looked uh, like they've hit even even fourth gear yet much less fifth and and maybe they think well you know we're just playing Denmark and you know Peru and you know whatever we'll sort of glide through that and then we'll we'll hit the gas but that's not always how it works so um you know Argentina is you know they're unpredictable Messi can turn a game by himself um you know they've got guys who played in, in big games and play at high levels and 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 they're not France is not going to just be able to walk in there and and win with their roster. Um, so it'll be really interesting for me to see if uh, Deschamps knows how to cut this team loose, and then and to see if they can play to their potential because they just haven't yet.
0: So is Deschamps with some of his star players a little bit like when people said Dean Smith was the only person who could hold Michael Jordan to under twenty points a game?
1: I, you, I'm going to take your word for that. You are the college hoops expert. <laughs> I will take your word for this. I've heard that. I've heard that before. I have heard that before.
0: Though it should be noted that michael jordan won a championship at north carolina um i do know i'll be watching this game with fox executives uh and that they would be absolutely thrilled to have a quarterfinal featuring cristiano ronaldo against Lionel messi
1: that is one of the options that would be <laughs> that would be a titanic <laughs> immense game back in my uh back in my beloved burg of, of Nizhny novgorod uh <laughs> on, on july 6th that would happen um so, all of the permutate, yes, I, I realize that that would be a ratings bonanza,, uh, but all of the permutations out of that quartet are are pretty delicious, and then, of course, whoever survives um you know, likely has a semifinal against uh, uh brazil or or Belgium. Uh, no disrespect attended to mexico, but i don't I don't see them getting through uh, both of those games. but um, yeah, it's just that as we talked about that, half of the bracket is stupid and and um they're gonna be some teams going home early, big teams, big players.
0: Which which of the games are we least excited about? Sweden, Switzerland, maybe?
1: Yeah, that's a uh, that's a tough sell. Um, Spain, Russia. I mean, I'm going to Spain, Russia. Um, I guess there'll be a good atmosphere, but but on a on a competitive basis, that would be a game that would be fun to be at. um, And I'm glad I'm going, but I'm not sure if that's a game I'd be excited to watch on television. Uh, Um, So um, you know, and then and then uh, you know, Croatia you would think uh would be um, heavily favored over Denmark and and then um Columbia England. I think Columbia England is the most intriguing round of sixteen game in the in the right half of the bracket.
0: I just hope James Rodriguez is available.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Quadrado's been wonderful in this tournament. I really enjoy watching him play. It'll be interesting to see how uh England can handle I mean he's a he's a he's a really, really dangerous player wide and and um Southgate's been playing with three in the back. And so you sort of you know using those those wing backs um to cover ground out on the flanks and it'll be interesting to see how that that matchup works out for them.
0: Yeah. The other ones obviously are Brazil Mexico, which has uh, certainly interest in our area of the world and yep. I, I do recall picking Mexico to beat Brazil in Sports Illustrated before this tournament. I'm less confident uh-huh. less confident of that pick right now, but you never know. Um and Belgium Japan, which um that'll be potentially intriguing. I just hope uh you know, we'll see. I mean, Belgium, I think, is going to kind of let the dogs out this time, and I think could run roughshod over. Them.
1: Well, what's interesting about Belgium and Croatia is that you know we, we both sort of talked about this a little bit is the idea of sort of the pedigree teams in World Cups. You know, the the teams that are always producing talent that are always contenders, um, and then the and then the golden generation teams, right? That's a different level of country. These are the countries that are that are competitive and, and, and in, in, in it till the end, but then they don't hear from them for a decade or two. Right. You know, so as good as Cro- as good as Croatia is right now, they haven't won a knockout game at a World Cup in 20 years, right? And Belgium went a chunk a chunk of time without qualifying before this generation sort of emerged four years ago. So the, there isn't much to suggest in the past, and that doesn't mean it won't it will never happen. but there isn't much to suggest in the past that teams like this, win world cups. Um, and so what happens when Belgium plays Brazil, what happens when Croatia plays Spain? Um, can they win one game like that? Can they win two? Um, in the end, it tends to be the powers. It tends to be the teams that are always there at the end. So that will be a fascinating thing for me to watch as we get deeper in this tournament is whether, whether a golden generation team can finally go on a real run, beat some of the big teams and maybe even win a world cup that hasn't happened.
0: We've got four fun days ahead, eight games, all elimination games. I'm looking forward to it, Brian.
1: In eight years, they're going to have they're going to they're going to have 32 teams. That in that 48 team World Cup.
0: Yeah, Jesus.
1: Imagine that. Oh, I'll be working at Denny's by then.
0: It's fine. <laughs> all right, man, I'll talk to you tomorrow big thanks to Brian Strauss. Next up is my interview with Sunil Gulati. Let's bring in today's interview guest. It's Sunil Gulati, former U.S. soccer president, currently on the U.S. soccer board, also a member of the FIFA Council, and here at the World Cup seeing games. Congratulations on getting World Cup 26 for North America.
2: Yeah, it was a a great day, obviously, for the sport, uh, for Mexico, Canada, the U.S., and the, the end of a long process. So it was a Uh, an emotional day and a, a very happy day
0: yeah i mean first off thanks for coming on the podcast i appreciate it um i was there in zurich on december 2nd 2010 uh which was my birthday as i recall but i recall it more for uh the bitter defeat uh on world cup 22 and the bid between the u.s and qatar um So, I think I have an idea of what it felt like to get World Cup 26 for you, but I was wondering if you could elaborate.
2: Well, you you know, obviously uh, we all remember December 2nd, 2010 quite well and everything that's gone on since. Um, And as I've said a couple of times, right after that, I couldn't decide whether, you know, we'll never go near this process again or start the next day. And in a sense, we started the next day. So, it was a long process, and you know, a feeling of relief and exuberance. In the in the in the run up, uh, I think we were feeling pretty good, especially when the technical report came out, which was very positive. And it was actually one of the things that we had made almost as a precondition for bidding that the rules would change and the technical standards would matter, um, which they clearly didn't matter to most of the people that voted the last time around. So that was a plus. um, And, you know, we've now got eight years to to plan and build on uh, build on where we are in the sport. So I think it's
0: fair to say that this idea for a co-hosted World Cup 26 with the US, Canada and Mexico, this was your baby. Uh, Could you take me back to the origins
2: of it? Um, well, it was actually really two sets of bilateral discussions we were having. Uh, one with Canada, uh, with Victor Montagnani, uh, who was president when we started, and, and he and I would joke around a lot about it. Um, him, Victor would often say, well, we're, we're going to bid. And I said, Victor, you're just negotiating with me for how many games you would get in co-hosted. <laughs> uh, and this went on for quite a while, and then when they hosted a very good World Cup on the women's side, uh, it got a little bit more serious. Um, and then separate apart from that, I was having discussions with the chairman of Televisa, uh, Emilio Skarraga, whose father um, had preceded him as chairman of Televisa, and they're the owners of Aztec- Azteca Stadium. They put on two fabulous World Cups, and I think he had it as a dream of his to host a third World Cup in Mexico and, you know, a game or games at Azteca Stadium. So we started talking about this several years ago um, uh, informally, and then a little bit more formally, and then obviously uh, had to had to have further discussions with the Mexican Federation. But that's really how it started, was with two sets of bilateral discussions. One with somebody that was outside the Mexican Federation directly, but an owner of a team and of an important partner of the Mexican Federations, and, and with Victor.
0: Okay. Um, at what point did it become pretty helpful to the bid for it not just to be a USA bid?
2: Well, Politically. yeah, um, I think probably throughout, um, you know, Victor made that point many times early on to me when we were still debating, discussing, deciding about it, that in a number of places in the world where, for whatever reasons, the US may not be as popular as we'd like, um, Canada, you know, could soften some of those edges. Uh, Mexico was clearly going to bring some things to the party that that were different than we could bring—a um, tradition, a culture, hosting two World Cups. We'd obviously hosted one as well, but Latin America and the Spanish-speaking world. Um, and I think right throughout, from when we first announced uh, last year that it was going to be a, a three-country bid, that we had the support of the U.S. administration, and it was, a, and I mentioned at that press conference that the president was fully supportive of it and especially pleased that Mexico was part of the bid. That was true, that was, we weren't just saying that. Um, so I think from day one it helped um, that we were, uh, for two reasons, one is we took potential competitors out of the out of the, the race and I think at least one of them might have bid, hmm. um, whether they would have been successful or not we'll never know. But also because we all brought positive attributes to it and I think that, that helped enormously in the end um, with with a number of other factors. Okay. Um, was there a point in which you thought
0: maybe Morocco might win this thing?
2: Listen, you're, you're always, you're never thinking this is a done deal, um, having been through it before. Um, you know, we'd hosted three, three World Cups, two on the women's side, one on the men's side. The only one that was hard competition for was the men's World Cup, um, and obviously then lost in 2010. So you always think that's a possibility. But I think, you know, there's also a school of thought or a lot of people thought this is a slam dunk throughout based on the technical requirements, based on our stadiums, based on the economics. Um, in the end, I think those things were all very important factors. But you never know how people are going to weigh up individual, individual countries. Uh, and this was the first World Cup where the entire Congress of FIFA was voting. So it was a, a unique situation, a technical report that came out relatively late in the process. Um, so I think you always, you know, it doesn't matter who you're, who you're playing against in a game or in this sort of contest, you're never, you're never sure about anything? I mean,
0: for me, it's interesting that compared to 2010, in political terms of how the U.S. is viewed internationally, I would have thought that it would be more likely in 2010 to win an international vote than in 2018. And yet, basically the opposite happened.
2: That, that's right, um, and I think there's there's a number of reasons for that. Um, one, obviously, the competition was different. The dynamics around a two World Cup bid in in 2010 made things different, and eventually parceled out so that some countries from Europe were bidding for one World Cup, and countries outside of Europe bidding for the other. Who the competition was was different. Who was voting for was uh, was different. But you're right. Um, you know, we started our bid uh, for the 2022 World Cup in December of 2008. Okay. 2008. And I actually say to some students when I'm doing a session about the World Cup bid and the process, now why would that have been very different than starting in October, 2008? We're Mm -hmm. going to change in administration. And for several months, if not several years, um, you know, President Obama's stock abroad was extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, You know, I like to say carrying a blue passport became easier. Um, and the stock was still very high throughout, but especially in those early days, the, the speech in Cairo and so on. Um, the dynamics were very different here, and the rules were different. Mm-hmm. And I think that, frankly, is a big part of the explanation of of why we were successful this time, and perhaps um, partially explain why we weren't successful the last time.
0: So you think the rules changes and like that that really did work? That people in the voters in FIFA, it actually made a difference, that the technical report actually made a difference this time. I'm just wondering why is that the case?
2: Well, well, it's not just that. So I had publicly stated several years ago that we wouldn't bid unless the rules were changed. And there were four things that, that I often mentioned uh, that were critical to us, and including I mentioned to the reform groups that looked at this. Um, one was the technical standards had to mean something. They had to be you know specific and so on. They clearly were in this case. They showed a big difference between the two bids. Second, this this policy of of uh, having voters travel to the countries that were bidding in order to make sure the hotels really worked in the country it was nonsense. The IOC banned it a long time ago, and we need to do the same. That was cut out. Third, this whole notion of of uh, you know gift giving, yeah, development programs, playing international games was all put. You know, put aside, and FIFA said you can't do these things. You can't start development, and we were overly cautious on that. Even programs that we had in place previous to that, we put on hold for a while. Mm. Or playing a national team game just before the bid, um, and under what commercial terms, and all those sorts of things. And the fourth was a public vote, um, and the one we hadn't requested, which was already in place after the last decision, was uh, that all the members would vote, and that you know that was a different dynamic because it's not 22 or 24 people. Uh, it became two
0: hundred and two hundred and nine. Yeah. Um, in terms of what this means for soccer in America and North America over the next eight years, what are we talking about?
2: You know, I think it's actually, there's there's two critical periods left. One is that eight years and the buildup of what we can do, what cities will, will engage in in order to host games. And for us, it's not about asking anybody to build a stadium or a highway or a hotel. It's about how many after-school programs do you have? You have 5,000 tickets sold for an NWSL team on a season basis. Those sorts of things. Soccer-specific infrastructure, soccer-specific spending. Um, so try to get some momentum. And then critically, the 30 days of the event or 31 days of the event are important. But is what does the world look like the day after? Um, so I think you know, if I look at this whole process, there's almost five periods of it. One is before we announced we were bidding, the work that was done. Then the actual bid process of roughly 16, 17, 18 months. This next eight years... 31 days, and then the rest. And the rest is really, what does U.S. soccer, what does soccer in America look like the day after the World Cup's over? Have we been able to take it to a higher level, use the platform that the World Cup gives us in the best possible way?
0: So your personal role in this has changed. Um, when you started with this process, you were the U.S. soccer president. You aren't now. Um, was that weird for you on the day that the United bid won?
2: Um, it was different, um, and you know, if he said to me a year ago, uh, "This is the way it's going to play out," I would have said, "No, I don't think that's how it's going to go." Some things happen along the way, but uh, it was far more positive and uh, a feeling of happiness than weirdness. Um, so, yeah, they, listen, those those things those things happen along the way. Um, the the three presidents did a terrific job over the last three months of promoting and, and uh, traveling to a lot of countries in promoting the bid. Um, so that it was, a, it was a different experience than it might have been, but still a very, very positive one. And I look at this whole thing not as, you know, in terms of the personal side of it. I look at this as a 30-plus year participation in the sport. Um, and to be hosting the World Cup again, which, you know, will be the second time in my lifetime, um, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. Um, what are you up to here at the World
2: Cup? Um, so I'm here as a member of the, the FIFA Council. Um, Going to a lot of games, as it turns out, uh, and and we'll go back. We went back to the states once last week for a friend's uh, friend's uh, engagement slash wedding. Um, but I've been to a lot of games, and you spend a lot of time here in a, in a situation like this where there's not nonstop meetings. It's the time where you get opportunities to spend meaningful time, dialogue time, with whether it's FIFA council members or other members of the soccer community, and that could be everything from media and journalists to the local organizing committee, to even, you know, have some interesting discussions with some referees here, or Hmm. people that are working on the referee side of things for FIFA, FIFA council members, member association presidents, all of those things in a different setting. And then obviously the, you know, the the games themselves are the centerpiece of it. So every day there's uh, somewhere between two and six hours of of soccer. Um, I've been to a game, I think, uh, all but one day that I was here. So I think I've been to 11 games. Nice. Um certainly go to some round of sixteen games, the quarters, and so on. So that that part is uh that part is terrific.
0: So you're on the FIFA Council through 2021?
2: twenty twenty-one? Yes. Twenty Yes. Okay.
0: Um have you thought about what you want to do with that time on the FIFA Council and then also what you might want to do after that in soccer?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a number of things that I'd like to see happen at, at the FIFA level. Some of those uh Um, are probably better discussed first with my colleagues at uh, the FIFA Council or with the President of FIFA before I talk about them publicly. Um, But, you know, the reform program at FIFA to date has gone very well in my view. It's still got a long way to go. Uh, You don't change everything overnight, but a lot of the steps that have been put forward um, I think are very, very positive. Um, I don't agree with all of them, uh, but many of them are, are very positive. We'll continue to implement some of those, change some of those along the way. So it's that. It'll be the build-up, obviously, to the World Cup. Um, and you know beyond that, we'll see. Um, we're hosting this great event. Uh, teaching at Columbia is still something I'm passionate about. Um, got into a lot more reading in the last few, uh, few months, which is a good thing. Um, so I think there'll be plenty to keep me busy uh, within the sport and outside the sport. Um,
0: you helped Johnny Infantino, the FIFA president, win his election a couple years ago. Um, the vote the votes that swung uh, from CONCACAF were pivotal in the end. Was there ever a sort of like Infantino us one type of situation in terms of uh, the world cup 26?
2: No, no. Um, we asked all the candidates, uh, we had five people from us soccer on the ground, uh, at that election. We met with all the candidates, um, and talked to them about their views on the world cup and a host of other things. Um, you wouldn't be surprised to know that most of them thought the World Cup as candidates when they were talking to the U.S. <laughs> thought it should be in the U.S. Um, but once once Johnny was elected, he had to take a different position, obviously. Uh, but I think he understood what the what the importance and what the value in so many phrases, not just economic, um, would be of a especially when the tournament became a 48 team tournament uh, of a North American hosted World Cup. So it was never a feeling uh, of he owed us one or FIFA owed us one. I think the FIFA Congress has made a Made a very good decision, but you know Morocco put up a put up a very good bid, um, and we never took it for granted and never took the president 's uh, support for granted Is it
0: possible now that FIFA, as a sort of brand name in the u s might f- find a way to slowly improve how it 's received in the wake of the scandal?
2: The answer is yes, but it 'll take time yeah. um, you don 't you know a lot of other people have said it long before I would hear you can lose your reputation instantly, and it takes a long time to get it back. Um, you, you know, Just think about the number of personalities that either of us could name in the last six months who in various scandals in the U.S. after 20, 30, 40, 50 years in a particular business, whether it's in the media business or in the Hollywood business, that have had their reputations ruined um, by now. In some cases, what we found out were not just one incident, but many things. Um, so FIFA's had a tough time for several years, Uh, And historically, you know, hasn't always done the right things. I think the changes that have been made are positive. I think there's new people. And there's still going to be things that happen. And we know about some of them that happened in the last few months. Uh, But if the rules are better and enforcement is better, then the organization will be better. And I think both those things have happened. But in terms of getting the reputation back of being, this, you know, the shining star, um, that didn't happen for the IOC, uh, overnight after the issues around Salt Lake. It took a long time, and it's still happening. And now they've got different challenges, obviously. So it's going to take time, but hopefully hopefully that will happen.
0: Do you see m- more new American or any new American sponsors coming into FIFA now that it's um, going to North America in 26? Because there haven't been any new ones since before the scandal.
2: Yeah, no, that, that part's right. Um, there were mostly American and European-based sponsors until the last World Cup or two, Now, obviously, what you're seeing in both Russia and and, uh, Qatar are some regional-based sponsors who are becoming international sponsors, Right, Gazprom, Qatar Air. Um, You'll see some of that. So I I think that's quite possible, but what will be probably more likely is that the values of those sponsorships will increase, and so the number of companies that are willing to play at that highest level um, are going to be fewer. Now, whether those companies come from the Far East or the Middle East or Europe or the U.S. remains to be seen. But I think it's possible, uh, especially some, some international companies that want to activate in a big way in the U.S., but they could also become regional partners or national partners. All of those things are going to be sorted out over the next several years on what's available and what's not.
0: Um, for me, at least, you know, I've accepted the fact the U.S. isn't in this World Cup, but it was still tough to see Panama play. That's when it hit me. Is there, again, I mean, was there a moment like that for you during this tournament?
2: Yeah, it started the first day of the tournament. And in a sense, it started, you know, the day after our game in Trinidad. So that's the hardest part of being here, uh, obviously. Um, You know, I've been to the last... been to every World Cup since 86 and been involved with the U.S. team in every World Cup since 90 uh, when we qualified. So it's extraordinarily disappointing and and bitter. Um, But, you know, when you think back to our two games against Panama... In that second game at home, um, wasn't much of a contest on that day, and then you see England take them to, to take them apart in that first half, especially. So yeah, there is that brings back um, you know not pleasant memories for sure or pleasant feelings. So a lot's
0: happened in the last year um, connected to that, connected to other things. Um, just personally, I guess, how have you decided to? to kind of move forward and, and do what you're doing, continue doing what you're doing in soccer?
2: Well, they're not all rosy days on that front, obviously. Um, but look, I, I look at this, this involvement with the game, as I said earlier, in, a, in you know, 30, 35 years, and being involved in the Federation really since the 85, 86 period. Um, and if I look at where the sport was then and where the sport is now, I take great satisfaction with that. Other people could look at the same period and say, well, you know, the sport should have grown even more. But there aren't too many member associations of FIFA that could look at that period and say, we've made this sort of progress and would take it again. If we could replicate that sort of progress, I think most of us would take it again. We can get into all the discussions about should the men's team be better and should we be in the semifinals or finals and should the the league and all of those things. But if you just look at the, the basic facts of our success on the field, off the field, in terms of international recognition, reputation. I mean, it was a bitter, bitter disappointment, a shock to the system to not qualify for the World Cup. No one can say that in 1985 when we lost to Costa Rica. It was disappointing, but who knew about it? And so it's a good thing that so many more people care about the game now, especially young people who you know, don't have that same historical uh, reference point, and that they're engaged, whether it's on social media and other. Words. But I also, you know, look at it a, with a little bit of perspective of where we come from. So um, it's been a hard year, for sure. Uh, great two weeks ago with getting the World Cup. Huge disappointment not being here. Um, what I consider, a, you know, an electoral campaign that could have been far more positive, um, uh, whether people were shooting at each other or just misstating facts. And I've talked about this before, and there's not a reason to go on that. And some of that continues now. When, you know, when I see people misstating facts about U.S. soccer's financials or about the rationale about decisions that were made, whether it's regarding leagues in the U.S. or youth soccer, all those things, um, there's a whole lot of history and, and information available uh, if people want to spend some time on it. So I'm, I'm tremendously proud of where the game has come in the last 30 years. I'm not talking about my involvement; I'm talking about where the sport has gone. If we could continue that sort of progress for the next couple of decades, I'd take that in a heartbeat.
0: Um, I've been working 18-hour days here uh, and enjoying them at the World Cup. Um, So I haven't had a chance to even look at the financials or whatever. What are we even talking about with that?
2: Uh, Well, U.S. Soccer put out out its financials. It took a little bit longer than usual Mm -hmm. uh, to get the audited statements out because of Copa America. We had set up a subsidiary that needed to be merged and so on. So some people are questioning, you know, things that they may not fully appreciate or understand, but they're completely fine and audited financials and everything is, is kosher. Uh, it just took a little bit longer and, you know, but it's, it's, listen, with social media now, and I've said this often and everyone understands without me having to say it, everyone has a megaphone. Um, so you're not necessarily getting a fact check, double fact check, Uh, you know, writer from whether it's Sports Illustrated or Fox or the New York Times, somebody tweets something and someone else retweets it. And that's the third retweet from somebody who does, you know, fact check things. And all of a sudden it's fact. And that's pretty nonsensical. I mean, uh, so there's a great positive role for social media, but there's a fair amount of nonsense that comes through as well. And and it's all part of part of the game.
0: I uh, will look forward in late July or perhaps August to... uh I'll
2: take a look at the financials and see if there's anything there, but uh, the well, you're a Princeton guy, so maybe you want to get somebody from, you know, <laughs> Yale or Penn to help you with that. But yeah, you can look at them. <laughs> On that note, we'll end, thank you Sunil for joining the show. My pleasure. Glad to be with you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Planet Football World Cup Daily Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss and Sunil Gulati as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do, and we'll see you tomorrow.